Okay, so good morning, good morning. Good morning. Ladies. Enjoy your hot cup of coffee on our frigid book of morning. Okay, we continue our study of Emuna, our weekly dose and injection of Emuna. We had been learning uh, Revolbi and Ali Shor. I want to take a break uh, just for this week, maybe the next couple weeks, because these partios are so rich with topics of Emuna that it would be a crime not to, if we're studying about Emuna, see them in the Parsha. So you have in front of you a piece from uh, the Slanam Rebbe, the Nesiva Shalom. If you're listening online, it should be up on the uh, website as well. And uh, we'll see how far we get. But again, it allows us, as, as the Ramchal writes in his introduction to Mesil Sisharim, there's a whole world of things that we already know, that we don't practice them because we tend to forget, we neglect, we don't think. So, so much of life is about mindfulness. If we're mindful of what we already know, we'll, uh, we'll be much more vigilant, we'll be much more, uh, we'll pursue it with much more enthusiasm. And that's the same true with Amuna. When we get together here on Wednesday mornings, we're not solving the most uh, greatest philosophical dilemmas of Amuna. These are deep and uh, challenging uh, concepts, but we're simply reminding ourselves of Amuna that hopefully will last throughout the rest of the week. Chazal Omru. We're on the page that it says, B'schus Amuna Nigalum Mitzrayim. Page Samach Gimel, 63. Chazal Amru, <laughs> Chazal Amru, our rabbis taught in Yalkut Shimoni, the Medrash. B'schus Amunah Nigalu Avoseinam Mitzrayim, U'b'schus Amunah Asidon Lehigayel. It was in the merit of Amunah that our forefathers, our ancestors, were first redeemed from Egypt. And it's only in the merit of Amunah that we too are destined to be redeemed. So Yeshalom, our Halashim Zuchus, when our rabbis taught us that it was in the Zuchus of Amunah, so we usually think of that word schus as meaning merit. merit. It's in the merit of emuna, and so on. However, the Salaam Rebbe suggests, Yeshlamar, that we should understand that Lashon schus, the language of schus is Milashan Zoch Ubihirus. What does the word Zach mean? Like Shemen Zayas Zach. The oil that was used in the Beis Amikdash was Zach, it was pure. It was pure. So he says the word schus comes from Zach, meaning pure. And Behirus, meaning clear, absolute clarity. So it means that when our ancestors were redeemed from Egypt, it wasn't with a wishy-washy, cloudy faith. It wasn't with a, yeah, maybe, maybe not. It wasn't with a hedging faith. They had an amuna, they had a faith, which was zach, it was pure, ubihirus, and it was crystal clear. As clear as it is to me that you're sitting in front of me right now, as clear as it is that I'm holding a safer, as clear as it is that it's daytime right now, was that level of clarity, of absolute certainty, of knowledge, that there is a God who created the world, that God was involved in their lives, that God was orchestrating the unfolding of their, of their destiny. It was zach, it was pure, and Bahir, it was clear. Kamosha Mevi, as it was brought by the Baal, told us, Yaakov Yitzchak is divrei ha-Rambam she'ilu ha-Yili Yisrael ka-yomes we have a tradition from this Rebbe that if our generation had that level of clarity, that level of certainty, that there is a God, there is an omnipotent, all-knowing power who created the universe and who is involved in every one of our lives, if we knew that, then a God would come down from the heavens and He would take water out of a rock. Meaning, we too would merit to see miracles. We too would merit to see incredible, um, incredible things. We should see from here the incredible level of Amuna. 
The generation that left Egypt, despite the hardship, despite the oppression and the persecution, despite the servitude and the suffering, they had a clarity. They knew there was a God. They knew there was a master plan. They knew there was meaning and order to the universe. And it's really on their backs that we are here. We achieved that freedom, the whole Pesach story. We achieve because of the merit of the clarity of their emunah. And it's only when we regain a sense of faith, when we live our lives in a way where we are inviting God in every day and every moment, whether it's seeing Him in the delicious cup of coffee, seeing Him and getting that perfect parking spot, seeing Him in, in, in the blessing of having good health and, and whatever blessings are in our life, seeing Hashem in our daily lives, it's in that merit of that clarity that we will be redeemed as well. So he explains the following. The idea here is that the, his ancestor, the previous son of Rebbe said, Beber Avraham in his Sefer, when the Jewish people were on the precipice of leaving Egypt, they were in, in a very low place. They were saturated in the 49th level of Tumah. I'm not exactly sure what the 49 levels of Tumah are. Does each level have a name? What does each level describe? I don't know exactly what that means. But what I know it means is, Egypt was a bad place. You know, Egypt was a place that was filled with uh, corruption and moral decay and promiscuousness and it was, it was a bad place. And the Jewish people, Nig Shamu Biyoser, they were filled with a sense of gashness. Right, it sounds very familiar. There was, they were filled, right. I mean, I, always, I can't imagine how Stone Vamora, at least uh, could, be, could be worse than some of the billboards and the ads and the mm-hmm. lifestyles and the free, open society and the everyone do what brings you pleasure that we live with. But that's all for another time. So they were in Egypt, and Egypt was this very, very uh, corrupt society. The 49th level of Tumah. And they were v'nig shamu biyoser. These are people, they were a slave nation. They were beaten, they were oppressed. So can you imagine, can you imagine living in a barrack in Auschwitz, being in Treblinka and saying, let's work on our midos. Let's, let's be the biggest balei chesed. Let's give sukkah. Let's learn. That's impossible. How could you be in a slave labor camp? How could you be in a concentration camp? How could you be in a death camp? Malnourished bruised, broken bones, suffering, malaria, death, loss. And that was all going on in Egypt. Babies being drowned. That was what was going on in Egypt. It was genocide. So could God forbid a person is in a barracks, in a concentration camp, a death camp, a slave labor camp. They're not working on zichu chamidos. They're not having a whole little vad, a little chabura people get together and say... You know, oh, let's let's do more chesed. Let's give more tzedakah. Let's learn. Let's let's work on being patient or slow to anger. Or you don't have energy. You're physically exhausted. You're mentally, spiritually, emotionally exhausted. You have nothing left. You're barely able to survive. So that's what it says. So our ancestors in Egypt, they were broken. They were literally broken. When I mean, our parsha says that when Moshe came. And told them, I have a message of hope. I've come to redeem you. Come, we're getting out of here. They didn't listen. Lo shamu elai. They didn't listen to Moshe. And why didn't they listen to Moshe? Me ruach o me'avodah Which Rashi understands, what does kotzer ruach, shortness of breath, means? 
If you're so exhausted, you couldn't breathe. Right? How do we describe How's life? Oh, I'm crazy busy, I can barely breathe. Crazy busy, I can barely breathe. That was their life. So they didn't listen to Moshe. But there's the Orachayim HaKadosh, of Chaim Ben Atar, is another magnificent interpretation that I'm fond of quoting. That Kotzer Ruach means, Ruach means vision. Kotzer means Katsar. They had a narrowness of vision. To believe that your life could be different than it is. To believe you could break out of the shackles and chains. To believe you could start that exercise program or start dieting or start controlling your anger or start working on your Shalom bias or start having a better relationship with your kids or start learning more or start... You know, we're very locked and stuck in our lives. We're enslaved to our lives. And we suffer from those shackles and chains that we think we can't break out of. So Moshe comes to the people and he says, No, come with me. We're going to be free. It's unbelievable. I came to save you. But they couldn't hear him. Lo Shamur, they couldn't hear him. They were so imprisoned by the narrowness of their lack of vision. They couldn't picture themselves being different, having a different life. That's the prerequisite to change is the capacity to envision yourself differently. Can you envision yourself eating that way or having that exercise regimen or being patient in that way or doing more chesed or learning more or starting a daven or working on your marriage? Can you envision yourself? That's the prerequisite. That's the precursor to actually making the change. They couldn't listen. They were in this broken, broken, broken state. So what did they have? The only thing they had in this very, very deeply broken state they didn't have the energy or strength to work on their character. They weren't starting stucco projects and chesed projects. What did they have? Emuna. All they had was faith. Because the capacity to tap into faith, the capacity to even in the darkest, deepest, ugliest places to say, this isn't random. This isn't chance. This isn't meaningless. But there is a higher being, a higher authority, there's meaning, there's order, there's purpose, there is a master plan. That capacity to have emuna, even in the darkest place, is planted in the soul of every Jew. Shem ma'minim b'nei ma'minim. We are ma'minim b'nei ma'minim. You know that great song? Anachnu ma'minim b'nei ma'minim. She'emunah netua b'yehudi la'ar mikocho shel avram avinu. We are people of faith, the children of people of faith. And that faith is planted in the heart of a Jew... It's in our DNA from Avram Avinu. From the moment Avram at a young age discovered the Almighty and lived a life of faith and preached a life of faith, he was able to successfully transmit to all of us through our very DNA the capacity to see Hashem and to live with faith and to be uplifted in every generation. I mean, think to yourself for a moment. Would we be here without faith? the Inquisition and the expulsions and the Holocaust and the Crusades and the... If Jews didn't have faith that it would yet become better, that it would yet be brighter, that this was yet part of a bigger plan, could we possibly ever exist? We would have given up long ago. It's only if we had Kotzer Ruach, if that narrowness of vision and shortness of breath and inability to dream or to look or to believe beyond what's right in front of us, we would never be here. We would have given up long ago. The fact that we're still here is testament to our ability to dream. It's the fact that Amuna is part of our very DNA. It's for the fabric. It's the fabric of being a Jew. You know, this is... I don't remember when I mentioned this last week or the Parsha class yesterday, that um, Yocheved and Miriam, Shifra and Pua, who are helping Jewish women give birth in Egypt, that's Amuna. The Jewish men, who are the realists, who look at only what's in front of them, are saying to themselves and to those around them, you got to be out of your mind to bring a kid into this world. 
What are you, crazy? You're going to bring a child into this world? This world of pain and hurt? This world of suffering? Living in Egypt? You're going to be out of your mind? Are you insane to bring a kid into this world? Yechevin Miriam and the Jewish women, in the merit of the righteous women. So the righteous women said, that's right now. Right now the suffering and pain. But tomorrow, the sun's going to come out again. And tomorrow it's going to improve and get better. So that's right now. We have to bring children into this world. Who's going to continue the Jewish people to live tomorrow when it yet gets better? And it's in the merit of those visionary women, and Yochavid and Miriam, Shifra and Pua in particular, who enabled the birthing of the next generation, that we're here. So there's an amazing statistic. One of the greatest Jewish population growths in our history happened in the DP camps following the Holocaust. And that is an astounding fact. Again, you would think people would say to themselves, what are we bringing kids into this world? Six million were murdered. Jews have been targeted throughout our history and we're continuing to be targeted. What are we, crazy? Have one child each. Don't have any children. Maybe we should end this experiment. And yet there was a population explosion in the DP camps. Again, that sense of that moon. And that's why we are a people that are part of the lunar cycle. Not the uh, part of the lunar cycle, not the solar cycle. We're part of the moon, not the sun. Because what is the moon? The moon waxes and wanes. It's smaller and it grows larger. And when is Rosh Chodesh? We celebrate Rosh Chodesh not when the moon is full. Not when the moon is large in the sky. We celebrate Rosh Chodesh when the moon is a sliver. When we believe it will yet come. When we are Roa es Hanolad. When we have faith in what, in what it will bring. So where do we get this from? Avram Avinu. Avram planted this emuna, this capacity to see not just what's right in front of our nose, but to believe with a sense of faith that this is part of a greater master plan, that there's meaning and purpose and order to the universe, that there is a, a being who controls things and that we are not going through whatever we're going through because of randomness, but somehow it is for us. Somehow it betters us. Somehow, even if it's painful, it's not bad. Nevertheless, it is somehow good. And it was Jews' capacity, as they were expelled from country after country, and murdered in the Crusades, and killed in the Inquisitions, and killed in the Holocaust, and throughout our history. And it's our ability, are we not seeing our brothers and sisters in Israel do this yet again? There have been, I mean, I was thinking the other day, that one terror event that's happened in the last three months in Israel, of which it's happened three a day, one would paralyze America forever, mm-hmm. right? One stabbing, one shooting, one car ramming, mm-hmm. and it would be, and it's happening three times a day. You go on times of Israel in the morning, the afternoon, the night, it's going on, how do you leave your house in Israel? How do you go on? How do you believe in the experiment? How does it not mass Yerida? Why isn't everyone moving to all the Israelis to South Florida? Why not move to Uganda, the original plan, you know? <laughs> because Emuna, because we are the children of Avram Avinu. And Sarah Imenu. And we have the ability to say, that's today. We're looking at the bigger picture. And look where we came from. And look where we are. And look what tomorrow will bring. And to live with a sense of Amuna that this is not random. That there's meaning, order, and purpose. And that there will be a better day. And that is what carried the Jewish people out of Egypt. That even in their greatest moment of despondency, even when all hope seemed lost, even when they didn't have the energy to lift their head off the barracks, they didn't have the energy to work on their midos or do anything else of merit. Lying there half dead, what they could nevertheless continue to tap into was emuna, Was to say, Hashem, I see you even here, even in this darkest place. Yes. But, okay, so you're in a concentration camp or you're in Egypt or wherever you are. For sure, okay, the, for the greater people. But individually, right. you know what I mean? Like individually, they knew they were marching off 
to the crematorium. Correct. And how many, not all, not how many of them said Shema nonetheless? How many sang and danced and said, because, and I don't want to get too lost in this, but, you know, the Nazis or the Egyptian taskmasters or the anti-Semites today can try to steal our physical freedom, but they can't steal our soul. They can't control our spirit. And just as there were physical resistance in the Holocaust, with the partisans and with the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising and the escape from Sobibor and so on, there was a spiritual resistance. It was the people who said, whatever you do to my body, you can never, ever touch my soul. And my soul, in fact, is even closer to God than it's ever been. And my soul is more pure. And in fact, I remember this was actually a revelation that a teenage kid said to me on one of the March of the Livings that I participated in, I think walking through my Donic, a teenager said to me, you know, in fact, not that the Nazis did the Jews a favor. We'd never see it in that way. But in a sense, the Jews in that circumstance were the holiest they could be. Because the rest of us, we are a soul struggling with a body. And that body gives us temptation and desire and distraction. And the body makes our, it, it contaminates our soul because the body's not always uh, leading us to the right choices. But living in the situation they were living in, where it was ki'ilu, they almost didn't even have a body. They were malnourished, they had no temptation, they had no desire, they had no... Any, they were literally, we, we see the pictures of the skeletons walking around the concentration camp. The concentration camps were places of souls here on earth. They were pure souls, not contaminated or held back at all by the body. So the teenager said it to me. So in some sense they were pure. Again, we don't long for this, we don't wish this, we don't desire this. We, we hold accountable those who did this. But, but that was a very interesting perspective. So how does one find that strength? It's superhuman. But when we say, how will I find that strength? We say, you know what? My great Zayda, Avram Avinu, he put it in me. When the time comes and the pressure's there, what else is there? If not hope, if not faith, if not optimism. But it takes work. And that's what he's going to talk about. When God chose the Jewish people, they were at their lowest low living in this corrupt foreign land. And the Torah describes that God calls us We are God's firstborn children. And when did God give us that description, that appellation? When did God call us our, His Bechor? Bechor, it's a whole separate topic. Why is it fair? Is it right? But the Bechor, the eldest, has a certain uh, pedestal, has a certain... Uh, prestige. When did God call us Bini Bechori Yisrael? It's at that moment of our deepest low. It's at that moment when we were saturated in the 49th level of Toma. So we had nothing else going for us. God says, why should I take them out of Egypt? They got nothing going for them. They're not learning, they're not davening, they're not giving stuck, they're not doing chesed, they don't have good midos, they don't have, they're, they're suffering. But why should, I, why should I intervene? Because there was one thing left that they had going for them. And the one thing left they had going for them was that they hadn't given up hope. They had emunah. The one thing they had. When God saw, there was no redeeming quality about them. There was nothing redeeming about them. No reason to take them out. He found one thing that they maintained, they retained the capacity to believe that they had gotten from their forefathers. 
הרי בגודל אהבה שעושם, לבא ידך מנדך, אמר וגאלם בזכוס בהירוס האמונה שעשה להם. That when all hope, hope was lost, God saw they had a clarity. They had a, 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 a absolute sense that He was in their lives. And God planted that inside every single Jew. Whatever situation you find yourself, you're in a life-threatening situation. God forbid you're waiting for a diagnosis which could be terrible. You're having troubles financially. You're having troubles with Shalom Bayez. You're having troubles with your children. Whatever particular situation you find yourself, you can be redeemed. Emunah can take you out of Egypt. It can take you out of your predicament. In the merit of Emunah we were redeemed. And that is the necessary merit through which we will be redeemed. And to the degree that we work on, because again, what we've been getting together every week is to say, Emunah does not happen naturally. Emunah doesn't happen. Emunah is a muscle. Your muscles don't grow larger without going to the gym, without working them out. You need to stretch them, and you need to give them resistance, and you need to even tear them in order for them to grow larger. They don't grow larger on their own, they actually decay, they actually atrophy. And Amun is the same thing. So the degree to which we exercise the Amuna muscle, we work on our capacity for Amuna, we have clarity of vision that there is a God that is involved in our life, that He cares about us. We see Him in every morsel of food we eat, in every decision we make, in every word we speak, in every, sun, in every time we look up at the sun, then that is the degree to which we experience Amuna. So I want to just clarify. When He says that the Amuna came, when the Gula came because of that, and the Gula will come, it's not such a simple equation. It does not mean to suggest that you're lying in your deathbed, oh, just have a muna, and miraculously, cancer will disappear. Miraculously, your kidneys will start to work. Miraculously, you know, it doesn't mean that somebody who's struggling for fertility, have a little more amuna, and the amuna, overnight, miraculously. It doesn't mean you want to get married, amuna. It's not exactly a formula. Because if it were, then in whom would we be having faith? Ourselves. In ourselves. Well, I just have to have that amuna, and I can solve my own problem. And the whole idea of amuna is... Submission. The whole idea of Amuna is I'm conceding I'm not in control. This entire world tries to teach me you're in control. You're in control of your car, you're in control of your phone, you're in control of your decisions, you're in control of your life, you control it. You're in control, you're in control, you're in control. And all of a sudden Amuna comes and it says, You do your Hishtavas, you make your effort. But the results of that effort, who's really in control, make no mistake, you're not ultimately in control. So Amuna is that leap, I'm not in control. And if I think that Amuna will bring me what I want, then I'm trying to hold on to the controls. And that's not Amuna. So what does he mean then that you will achieve the Geula? What it means is, despite what you're going through, you can lift yourself out of it. It means that when Jews sang and danced and said Shema on the way into the gas chamber, they were redeemed. They were redeemed even while they yet died. It doesn't mean that you'll survive because you had Amuna. It means you redeemed yourself from losing your soul, from losing your spirit, from being utterly absorbed into this world which is so finite. You achieved eternal, eternality. You achieved the infinite. You achieved the ultimate. That's what it means to be redeemed. So you may not find the husband or wife. You may not have the baby. You may not earn the living. And you may continue to suffer with the illness. Of course, God forbid. You know, please God, you don't. Please God, in the merit of Amunah, you get out of all of that. But it's not, if it becomes a simple equation, then, then your Amunah is not going to last very long. Right? Because you're waiting for the results of the test. You say, oh, I have a lot of Amunah. You go and you find out it was cancer. 
there goes the Amuna. I thought Amuna was supposed to get me the positive result. So Amuna doesn't necessarily get you the positive result, but it redeems you in the sense that it elevates you. It helps you achieve immortality. It helps you rise and transcend this world and this circumstance. Because the moment you believe, this is not random, and this is not chance, there's greater meaning and purpose, there's a higher being, there is a God who created the world, who's guiding all of this, and there's something for me to gain from it, then you've been redeemed. Just believing that, feeling that, living that, you being mindful of that, that in itself is redemption. I'm trying to understand. Let's say somebody um, lives in Israel, and we're talking about versus someone living in the United States and what they're going through in Israel, and maybe we in the United States can't, you know, um, fathom how they could continue living there because it's so difficult. The situation right. is there a amuna? Someone who lives in Israel, do they have stronger amuna than we have? I think so, for sure. I don't, I don't think there's a doubt that you're living with greater amuna. Or let me rephrase that. You have the opportunity to be living with greater amuna. You're challenged to live with greater amuna. We don't walk down the street looking over our shoulder. We don't kiss our kids goodbye in the morning and, and hope and pray that we'll be able to tuck them in at night. Right? We, we do, but I'm saying, but we don't do, we don't do the degree that you do in Israel, in Israel right now. So that heightened, that heightened sense of your own mortality, that heightened sense of being alive can help but promote and increase the sense of amuna. Because I deal with people from different countries that are getting persecuted and they want to come to America. But from Israel, I don't get as much of that. They're still right. staying there, they're going to stick it out. Like right. Like someone from Morocco, they don't want to stay there. 100%. Persecuted. So that's consistent. Because there's a greater cause of living in Israel. We're a people, it's our homeland, we want to be there, no one's going to take us out. That's where we belong, and we have faith that that's part of the master, you know, that's part of the master plan. And that's, our faith is challenged, you know. Well, let's, let's read the next sentence and then I'll come back and tell you what I want to tell you. Malkovitz, says, When we get upstairs and we meet God or His emissary, we are asked a series of questions. The first thing, to get upstairs, you're asked a series of questions. And it's good to, it's good to work on our answers now. What do they ask? Which means, did you do your business with Amuna, with faith? Were you honest in your business? That's the traditional understanding is. Were you honest in your business, business dealings? Were you honest? Did you have integrity? But the, this alternative explanation is, But here, this is a beautiful alternative understanding. It's not, Did you use emuna for in your business dealings? But, did you, you, did you approach Amuna the same way you approached your business dealings? The same energy and the same ambition and the same vision and the same dedication and the same devotion and the same strategy that you brought to business, did you bring that to Amuna? Did you work on Amuna the way you worked on business? Did you value every penny of Amuna the way, the way that you valued every penny, <coughs> every penny of, of business? You know, last week or I'm in the middle of this series on the Jewish laws of death and burial and why... We were talking about cremation and Rabbi Simcha Friedman shared that he once had a, a person who was um, a person who had indicated to the children that he wanted to be cremated and when he died the children came to him he was, he was a rabbi and he said don't listen they said well how could we not how could we not listen and he said well, trust me you know, his soul is of inestimable value and where he is now he doesn't want you to do this and they said but that's what he told us to do how could we not listen so Rabbi Friedman said let me ask you a question what if your father left you instructions and said take all of my money out of all of my accounts 
collect the life insurance policy, take all the money, sell the house, gather all the money, put it in a pile, light it on fire, and burn it. Would you listen? They said, oh, of course not. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> so he said, trust me, his soul, trust me, his soul is worth a lot more than all the money that he possibly could have left you. Don't burn it. Don't burn it either. Right? It's a great answer. So. It's the body, but meaning the, the burning the body has the impact on the, on the soul. Mm-hmm. So, so here, the Salon Rebbe is suggesting this alternative understanding. Not did you do your business dealings with faith, but did you approach faith with the same dedication and the same ambition and the same aspiration that you did your business dealings? Mm-hmm. Did you approach Amuna always working on it, trying to become better, gain more clarity? You're always trying to think, how can I earn more money? How can I expand my business? How can I get more customers or clients? That's the same attitude that you have to bring to the amuna, to the amuna that you do. So we are faced every day with opportunities to work on amuna. You know, yesterday, once a month, we have a uh, basin of, of uh, Geras. We have a basin of conversion down here in South Florida. And we meet once a month, almost a whole day, and we meet back to back to back to back with conversion candidates. Half an hour slots all day long. And uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Wow, the whole experience is fascinating. And, you know, there's, there's people... Uh, yesterday we had two cases of surrogacy, people who had, who had children through surrogacy, and, and we have cases of adoption, and we have cases... Uh, all kinds of cases. Very fascinating. Yesterday alone, of the many, many candidates we met with, three of them at one point said something that struck me. And it struck me because you never hear Jews from birth say it. You never hear from people say it. Three of them said... Regarding something they wanted so badly, I stopped and I davened so hard for it. Right? In other words, they were doing something, they stopped and they closed their eyes, and I don't know if they know how to open the sitter or set it to Helam, but they minimally closed their eyes and they just, they davened so hard. Now, I find from Jews will say, when I was in Shul, I davened for it. I said, Shimon, I'm sorry, check, done, I davened. But when we're going through something, we're working on a project, we're working on something that we really, from the bottom of our hearts, want to see happen so badly. Do we daven? Like, is that part of our effort? You know, we've had meetings, we've created the budget, we're recruiting the right staff, and we're working on whatever we're doing. But has been part of our checklist of things that we're working on, davening for it. And I don't mean in Shmakalein, in Shmona Esrei, throw in a line of, Anashem, please make that work out. I mean, did we designate time to sit on the couch with no one around, and to have a conversation with the Shem, like to daven for it to actually happen. It, it's something which is missing. That, that's what he means to be working on your amuna. And could you work on amuna more than having a conversation with the Almighty, asking for his help, saying, listen, God, I'm working on this. I think it will bring you nachas. I think it's what you're hoping for. I think it's something that you'd be proud of. Doing everything I can, please help make it happen. Please help make it happen. Guide us. Support, help make it happen. So that attitude, that notion of of davening for something. And I don't just mean including it in your davening, or I don't even mean that you have the wonderful custom. I say to him every day, finish the whole safety to him once a month, it's broken in 30 days. I don't even mind, but you know what? I'll be honest, like I do it in between. I'm not really thinking about it. I just want to be able to say, check, I covered today's tell him I'm done. I mean to actually daven for something. You know, there's an evangelical leader here in South Florida who I work with a lot on Israel advocacy things, a pastor. He runs um, a... Uh, pastor's network for Hispanics, evangelicals. We're talking about like millions of people. I can't tell you how often we're talking and he'll say, I, pr- I wasn't sure what to do, so I prayed on it. Right? It's, it's in their language. You'll never hear a from Jew talk like this. We're too embarrassed or ashamed or shy or we think it's not sophisticated. I'm not sure exactly why we don't do it. You'll never have a conversation with a from Jew who says, I wasn't really sure where to go on vacation for winter break, 
So I davened on it, I thought about it, I asked Hashem to give me clarity, and this is what we decided to do. You would put that person in a mental institution, right? We would like be like, okay, whatever. That's not contagious, that's weird. But, but there's something very beautiful about saying about every decision in life, you know, that I turned to Hashem. I saw Hashem in it. I wondered what would Hashem want me to do. I asked Hashem for clarity on what to do. All of that attitude, all of that way, all of that speech is... is um, is what is how we work on it's how we work out that amuna muscle that sheds some light on the chazal um, about Hashem and that it's really during those difficult times that you find a voice and call out Hashem because otherwise when things are going well you just don't you don't think to you exactly know? so and, and that's really how you get through difficult times amuna is really that tool that helps you get through those things and, and that's when tefila comes so naturally because you're dominant or something that you need 100% there's no way to use it it should be through bad things right. it should be through all the time all and, that, the so, and that's exactly the challenge of incorporating amuna into our daily lives right so why did God put the avos and imahos through some trying times because he cherishes their prayers what does that mean you know if you love someone more you'd think you'd put them through fewer trying times so our rabbis taught us because he cherishes the prayer. I mean, he wants to bring out of them their greatest sense of amuna. He wants to draw them close. You know, how do I get my daughter to talk to me? Let her debit card run to zero, and then I know. So she's going through a trying time, and then I know I'm going to hear from her. As opposed to I keep her debit card fully stocked, and she doesn't need me, then I'll never hear from her. So Gersh Baruch who sometimes empties our debit card because he wants to hear from us, and we hear, he hears from us in the most sincere way. But... If we can, if you hear, you know, if, if I would hear from my kids all the time, I wouldn't have to let the de- I would I would eagerly run to keep the debit card fully full because I wouldn't need to use it as an instrument to draw their attention. So if we talk to Hashem in the good times, talk to Hashem because you're not sure which salad dressing on the shelf is the right one to make this recipe perfect. You think that's too minimal? You think that that's minima- You think that that's somehow? It's not. I always I tell all the bar and kids I speak to. I say, the more petty and small the thing you're asking Hashem for help for, the more he, he believes or he knows that you believe he exists. You know, to ask Hashem when your grandmother's dying of cancer for help, like, okay, there's no atheist in a foxhole. Who doesn't pray in that moment? But before your soccer game this afternoon that you really hope to play well or get some playing time, if you ask for Hashem to get playing time in the soccer game or that your team win, then Hashem knows you really believe he exists because he knows you really care about soccer. And if, he's, if you're asking for his help on soccer, he knows you really believe he exists. So there's nothing too petty. There's nothing too petty to daven for. It seems uh, like kids innately, I think, sometimes do that, right? They, they know that. Hashem, then we go through a period of maybe, and then maybe back at they say... Right, then they lose playing time, or, they, yeah. or they, they're winning all their soccer games, so right. they forget. <laughs> if, thanks Hashem, didn't need you, we won the soccer games anyway. Instead of realizing, like, wow, you know, thank you, you've been there for us, and it's going to be part of the ritual again. So, uh, it takes effort. It takes mindfulness in order to be able to do it. We barely started what I wanted to get to. So, let's just do a couple more minutes. And this is, we're going to read in a couple of weeks, when God introduces Himself to us in the first of the Ten Commandments, in the bottom left paragraph of the first page. What is the first of the Ten Commandments God says to us? I'm the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. And the Rambam writes, the first of the Ten Commandments is to know that God exists. And there are two parts to this mitzvah. Number one, The first 
The first is to know that there is God is the creator of the universe and that He controls the universe and that He is the first cause of the universe and that He was, He is, and always will be. That's number one. That's the first part. But then it also includes the second part. That's Anochi Hashem. But then it includes Elokecha. What is Elokecha? There's an element that we have to know that there's not just some generic God who's distant from me, who created and moved on. He's my God. I am His son. You are His daughters. That no matter what we do, we are His children. A parent never disowns a child. Jeffrey Dahmer's mother, I'm sure, was in court believing that her son was innocent. A parent always believes in their child and doesn't disown their child. And no matter how far we've drifted, Akash Baruch believes in us. We are His children. You know, it, we call it a bar mitzvah and a bat mitzvah. But we call a baal chesed and a baal tzedakah. Baal means a husband of, or a spouse of. So you're a baal chesed or a baalas chesed. The husband of chesed or the wife of chesed. But we call you a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah, which means the son or the daughter of a mitzvah. So why when it comes to becoming 12 or 13 do we describe you as a child? But when it comes to, oh, they're very involved in chesed, they're a baal chesed or a baalas chesed, then you're a husband or wife. So the answer is, because a husband and wife can get divorced. So today you're a Baal Chesed, and tomorrow you become a self-centered person. You gave up on Chesed. You got off the Chesed committee. You stopped volunteering for Chesed. So you got divorced from Chesed. But when you come Bar Bat Mitzvah, that relationship with Torah, a child can't divorce his parents or her parents. You are a child biologically. You are connected permanently for life. So Banam Atem Hashem Elokeichem. We are the children of Hashem, and it works reciprocally. We always are His children, and He is always our Father. Reb Meir had that name, Meir, because he enlightened, he opened the eyes of the Chachamim in Halacha. Which Halacha did he open the eyes of our rabbis that he earned being called Rebbe Meir? He opens eyes. It's this Halacha, that no matter what we do, we're always children of Hashem. Even though normally we follow Rebbe Yehuda, here, nevertheless, we follow the mayor that no matter what we do, we are children of Hashem. Hashem's love for us is unconditional. And that's why he says, I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. Kuzari asked this question too. We spoke about it yesterday in the Parsha class. Why didn't God introduce Himself to us and say the most impressive thing He ever did, which is, I am the Lord your God, I created something from nothing. We're not so impressed with that because we think we create, but we create something from something. Right? We get to go to Lowe's or Home Depot to create. God created something from absolutely nothing. Nobody has ever done that before or after. So why didn't Hashem introduce Himself to us with that more impressive thing? The answer is that through the power of Emunah, God took us out of Egypt. We were in the lowest state of 49 levels of Tumah. What we're supposed to know at the moment God introduces Himself to us is, I'm the Lord your God, I'm your Father. And no matter how far you may drift, no matter what you may do, no matter who you may become, I will always be your Father. And as long as you see me as your father, as long as you have faith and you love me and you believe in me as your father, then I will never abandon you. 
When we were in Egypt, we had nothing else in our favor. There was no merit, there was nothing redeeming about us. The only thing we had is that we didn't give up on God. We had Emuna. We saw Him. In other words, how did we get out of Egypt? Through the Anochi Hashem Elokecha. When we believe God is our God, then He could take us out of even the most lowly place of Mitzrayim. And this is the merit through which we will be redeemed. Everyone from their personal, who asked me that question before, but everyone from their personal exile. You're right. On the one hand, the Holocaust was collective and Mitzrayim is collective. We each go through our own personal exiles too, our own personal suffering. But we have to tap into the same capacity that we received in the DNA of our forefather Avram. That we too, even in those moments, have the ability to transcend our circumstance and say, I'm going to believe nonetheless. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to be elevated. I'm going to be strengthened nonetheless. Even when all the hope seems lost, even if we've become people we never dreamt we've become, we've, we've, we've given up on ourselves. But nevertheless, if we tap into this power of Amuna, we can transcend all of our circumstance and it can redeem us in the way that it did our forefathers. There's a lot more to say here. But we're out of time. So have a wonderful, wonderful week. See you next week. Thank you.